Hello and welcome to another episode of Travelosophy, a podcast about life lessons learnt from travel. I'm your host, Jade Jackson, and I've explored over 55 countries, many of them multiple times. I've been a travel agent, a tour guide, a teacher of travel and tourism, I've worked on a cruise ship, issued airline tickets, and I also helped iconic New Zealand tourism businesses sell more online. And now I'm a freelance writer, podcaster, and photographer. Today, I'll be taking you to Hong Kong, which is where I had my first independent travel experience at age 11. And even though on my first visit, I spent several weeks there, and I've since visited Hong Kong multiple times, I feel like there's so much more to Hong Kong to discover. It's one of those places that you can revisit year after year and still not see everything which is great because there's often really cheap flights you can find. Even on full-service carriers, you can regularly find airfares for under $500 return on Qantas or Virgin. On the surface, it's a busy city, like a massive Chinatown, but it has so many layers. It will take years of living there to explore everything. Whilst usually I'll talk about specific off-the-beaten-track places to visit, part of the joys of Hong Kong is exploration. I mean, sure, you can tick off taking the tram up Mount Victoria, enjoying a scenic cruise on the Star Ferry across the harbour, or digging into some noodles from numerous street stalls in the Temple Street night markets. But some of the things I encountered on my last trip to Hong Kong, I discovered simply through exploring. When I was 11, as part of the big trip I did with my mum, which I talk about in podcast episode one of Travelosophy, sorry, I know I go on about that, We spent a few weeks based in Hong Kong, staying with a friend who was a vet. Most days we went out sightseeing and wandering, and so I became familiar with the area, including jumping on and off the MTR, the metro. And not far away from where we were staying was a street vendor that sold waffles, and I became addicted to them, and every other day I'd ask mum if I could have one. Some days she said yes, other days she said no, because we're on a tight budget. They were cooked fresh and smooshed together with banana, peanut butter and honey. And on one particular day, I really craved one. But mum didn't want to go out for whatever reason. So I said, you know what? I've got my own spending money. I'll go out and get my own damn waffles. Although being 11, I probably didn't say damn to my mum. But I did go and catch the MTR one stop and I bought a waffle. It may not sound like much, but it was the sweetest tasting waffle I've ever had which paved the way for me then catching a bus in London by myself to get fish and chips, which basically laid the groundwork for me travelling the world solo when I finished high school. These days, most kids have everything done for them, but learning to be independent in a foreign city gave me the courage that I could go anywhere and do anything, all by myself. Also randomly, sometimes there's small moments from travel that stick in my memories, and I sometimes wonder what happened to that waffle vendor in Hong Kong. I recently found my diary from that year of travel, which was hidden away in my grandmother's shed. It's amazing what gets tucked away when people don't move houses. It wasn't overly interesting in terms of content. It's basically written in the style of, we went here, we did this, we ate that. But reading those entries, I instantly remembered going to markets or eating at a particular restaurant or travelling on a boat. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I did find some 
no entries from when I was in Hong Kong, so these are just some highlights. Friday, 7th of April, 1989. At 12, we went to the airport. Just for reference, we were flying from Bangkok. And at 2.30, we left for Hong Kong. When we arrived in Hong Kong, it was raining. We got a taxi to the Jade Hotel on Cameron Road, but it was too expensive, so we found another one called the Baccarat, which was very posh. As soon as I read that entry, I can picture getting out of the taxi and the second hotel, which was actually more of a love hotel, as it had a spa bath, a circular bed and pink velour everywhere. I thought it was great because it was an English Channel TV station. I remember watching the news. Like, we're talking 30 years ago, but because i just read that entry in my diary, I could instantly picture that moment. Here's another entry. Monday, 10th of April, 1989. Today we went to the Star Ferry and caught the ferry to Hong Kong Island, where we went to the GPO, General Post Office. At the GPO, there was a letter from Danielle and Tanya, my cousins, Nan and Pop, obviously my grandparents, and a tape from Kathy and Jake, friends of ours. Pre-internet days, when we were travelling, we used to record cassette tapes and post them because it was cheaper than a phone call. Mostly it was just saying things like, Hi, I miss you, over and over. But basically, we'd talk about things we'd done. But it was always a highlight receiving a cassette tape. I don't know if people still do this, but also you could send a letter to Post Restant General Post Office in any capital city, and they would hold it for you until you arrive. It's kind of archaic, but it's also a fantastic system, and was how we collected most of our mail whilst we were travelling. Tuesday, 11th of April, 1989. Today we found out we could get the boat to Shanghai and the plane back. Then we went to Stanley and bought some cheese, pate, avocado and some bread and went down to the beach and had a picnic. When we got back to Kowloon, I bought a waffle. Wednesday, 12th of April, 1989. We went and picked up our visas for China from time travel. Then we went downstairs and I bought a pair of jeans. Then mum saw them and bought a pair exactly the same as well. At night, Mum and Nigel went to the Red Lips Bar and I stayed at home. It's funny, I remember those jeans so clearly. They were black acid wash. So 80s. Like, you couldn't get more 80s. And I can't believe my mum bought a pair exactly the same. That's so embarrassing. So, just jumping forward a few days. Sunday, 16th of April, 1989. Just for context, we spent a few days in Macau the Portuguese colony, just a short ferry ride from Hong Kong. At about 12, we got the high-speed ferry back to Hong Kong. On the ferry, there were poker machines and I had a go and won $14. And when we got back to Hong Kong, I bought a denim jacket. I love that entry. The denim jacket was my pride and joy. It matched the jeans. So I was like top-to-toe black acid-wash denim. You just can't get more fashionable than that. So, whilst the diary entries aren't quite up to publishing, they're still incredibly powerful because just reading them sparks memories. It's amazing how much the brain remembers. And now I wished I was more disciplined about keeping detailed diaries of everywhere I've travelled to. Although, I'd probably need a warehouse to store them all in. I took notes here and there, and photos of course helps me remember places I've been. 
and I've always kept notebooks to scribble thoughts down, but none are as clear-cut as a day-by-day diary. These days, there's a lot of pressure if you have a diary to make it a hilarious novel of your trip, but it doesn't have to be a Bill Bryson book. Just noting down things like where you went, how you got there, how much it cost, what you ate, people you met. All these facts will spark memories when you read them in years to come. So make sure you keep a diary when you travel, even if it's just a small trip, and even if the diary is just for you. Typo sells loads of nice notebooks, and you can always find a bargain in the sale bin. Likewise, Kmart has dirt cheap notebooks, although the paper I find is better quality at Typo. It's nice to get into a little habit, like every day, before dinner, spend 15 minutes writing your diary entries. Hong Kong was essentially rented out by the British for 100 years, so it's a real unique mixture of Chinese and British culture in one. Despite being handed back to China in 97, there's still a huge expat community that remains, not only Australians and British, but also Filipinos and Indonesians, who fulfil a lot of domestic duties. It's a city of high-rises, but unlike New York, it's condensed into a tiny area that's easy enough to walk around. But like New York, it has a fantastic transport system, including double-decker buses like London, trams, and the MTR, which is the subway. One of the best things to do in Hong Kong is simply jump on the MTR, get off at a random stop, and wander, taking in markets, of which there's dozens, not just the famous ones like the Temple Street Night Markets or the Lady Markets or the Jade Market. There's heaps more to be found beyond Nathan Road, selling everything from goldfish to neon lights, some in busy little alleys, and there's also hawkers plying everything from custom-made suits to noodles. I found the most incredible camera shop near Mong Kok, and it had every kind of lens imaginable, and camera bags I've never seen elsewhere. It was like two or three stories, and it was honestly photographer's heaven. I was there 10 minutes before closing, so I didn't get a, and I didn't get a chance to go back. I was so gutted because they had a range of National Geographic camera bags which just shouted at me to buy. There was also those ridiculous zoom lenses, one of which was like 30000 Australian dollars. The night markets is of course great if you want souvenirs. The lady markets are full of handbags, phone cases, jewellery. But like always, getting away from the tourist strips and for example wandering around the electronic markets near Mong Kok, you may be able to pick up a unique gadget. It's also perfect if you need charges of any kind. Nearby, on the opposite side of Nathan Road, in the side streets, is where you'll find hundreds of bright neon signs. Pretty much it's all shops and eateries in the surrounding area. And the last time I was there in 2016, it was still all pedestrian streets. But a few months later, I heard they were opening up the streets to cars to help ease traffic congestion. Of course, the lights and the shops are still there, but I imagine the atmosphere is quite different because there used to be lots of street performers and musicians. Again, if you follow the neon lights in Hong Kong, it's hard to go wrong. Just like taking a wander along the harbour. There's a Hollywood walk of stars, except it's all Chinese actors. It was only a few names I recognised, but it's still a nice place to wander and look at the lights of the buildings on Hong Kong Island. Hong Kong is, of course, also a foodie haven with a plethora of cuisines to discover, both from locals and inspired by expats, whether it be dumplings, Russian stroganoff, or an English pub roast. 
I'm sure you'll read dozens of blogs, guidebooks, and see YouTube videos about the best in some or buns in Hong Kong. However, inside the Hung Hom Railway Station, which is adjacent to the MTR station, and that's where the train departed for Guangzhou, there was a shop selling barbecue pork and beef, but it's different to what you'd normally expect. It comes in square slices, or little medallion-like circles, and it's thin and covered in a sweet, sticky barbecue sauce. There's different variants, and some are a little spicy, but oh, my mouth drools just thinking about this stuff. I guess it's similar to jerky, because it lasts, but it's not because it's not as tough. It's common to give it as a gift, so it's often ornately wrapped. I first discovered it in Shanghai a few years back, and there was a promotion, and you got a lunchbox and chopsticks, and I wanted the gift that came with it, so I bought like half a kilo. And as soon as I tasted it, I was hooked. I ate it all. Recently, for Chinese New Year, I found a market store selling it in Chinatown in Sydney. And even though I'd just finished dinner, I had to have a piece, because it's too good not to. On another of my wanderings on Hong Kong Island, I came across a Dutch wine and cheese shop, which sold, as you can imagine, only wine and cheese. And being a cheese fan, I was super excited to find my favourite vintage Gouda, which is impossible to find in Australia. If anyone knows of any shops that sell it, please let me know. I was so excited I bought a piece without double-checking the price. In the back of my mind, I was thinking, it's cheese, how expensive could it be? But it wasn't until I got back to my hotel that I actually converted the price back into Australian dollars. Turned out I paid over 50 Australian dollars for a piece of cheese, about 45 US. It wasn't even that big. So, important lesson, always double check and convert the price before making any purchases when you're traveling. Because even after years of travel, it's still easy to make silly mistakes with conversions. Of course, that meant I ate cheese for dinner nearly every night, but I don't regret it because vintage gouda is seriously amazing. And it paired nicely with my barbecue pork medallions. The cheese shop was also just down the road from Upper Lascar Row, which is famous for antiques and random bits and pieces. It's the kind of place where you'll find old Chinese coins, posters of Mao and lots of jade and jewellery. Some of it is kind of junky, but it's still fun to peruse. And you never know, you might find a genuine antique that's worth a lot. Also, just down the road is the Man Mo Temple, which is dark. It's got lots of red lanterns, making it quite atmospheric, but it's also really beautiful. Besides Disneyland, which I go into more detail in Travelosophy Episode 5, Hong Kong also has Ocean Park, which is like two attractions in one. On one side, you've got the Aquarium and Panda Mountain, and on the other side, you have rides. The rides aren't as flash as Disneyland, but there's still a couple of roller coasters. And there's even a McDonald's within the theme park, which is rare. I don't know why that's exciting, but everyone I spoke to who went to Ocean Park all stopped in at McDonald's, even if just for an ice cream. They have a couple of different shark tanks in the aquarium, and you can view them from above or below, which was really cool. And I was super impressed by the range of shark-themed merchandise in the gift shop. Personally, I consider that a reason alone to go to Ocean Park, but I know others may think differently. I picked up an awesome hammerhead shark hat. 
These days it's much easier to get to Ocean Park because there's an MTR station right outside and it's just one stop from Admiralty Station on Hong Kong Island. And for anyone who says Disneyland or Ocean Park is not an authentic Hong Kong experience, I say bah. Travel is as much about having fun as immersing yourself in different cultures. And as we don't have any theme parks in Sydney, it's always a treat visiting theme parks around the world. But one of my favourite things to do when travelling is to grab a newspaper and actually sit down and read it over a coffee. Most cities have an English language paper, especially in Hong Kong where English is widely spoken. But even in India, China, the Philippines and Japan, you can find local English newspapers. Even if it's just the International Herald Tribune. And not just for the news, but being aware of local news and what's important in the city you're in gives you something to chat to locals about. But it's also where you find out about what's happening locally. Things like art exhibitions, live music and theatre. It was in the newspaper I saw an ad for an Annie Leibovitz ex- photography exhibition that was showing in a rundown warehouse in Kennedy Town on Hong Kong Island that just so happened to be on when I was passing back through Hong Kong at the end of my trip. I had about 10 hours transit between flights and luckily Hong Kong Airport has luggage storage. Plus you can get a day return trip on the airport train So I dumped my bags, head off to the exhibition, which focused on portraits of women. As you'd expect from an Annie Leibovitz exhibition, it was incredible. They had lots of famous photos, like the one of Whoopi Goldberg in a bathtub of milk, but also more intimate family portraits previously unseen, along with limited edition photo books you could peruse. But visiting the exhibition made me feel like a local, not a tourist because had I not picked up the paper, I probably wouldn't have known about it. Afterwards, I went for a wander along the waterfront, just down the road from the exhibition, and stumbled upon a fish and chip and rotisserie chicken restaurant called Fish and Chick. After three weeks of mostly noodles and stir-fries in China, I was a little excited for fish and chips, because it's something I have regularly in Australia whenever I visit my grandmother. She loves it. And they even had ginger beer which was something else I couldn't find in China. This restaurant had fish from all around the world, including New Zealand, Iceland and Australia, which is also unique. And it was an open-style eatery, so as you were sitting inside having lunch, you could feel the breeze off the harbour, which was perfect when dining on fish and chips. So had I not read the paper over breakfast a month before, I may not have heard about the exhibition. And had I not gone to the exhibition, I may not have stumbled upon an amazing restaurant in Kennedy Town, which overall made for a really pleasant last day of my trip. And besides, Disneyland was one of the highlights of my time in Hong Kong. I remember when I was in the Philippines, there was a big G20 summit meeting and entire airports were shut down. I read about it first in the paper before I had received any notification from the airline that my flight had been cancelled. So I guess the lesson from that is read local newspapers wherever you go because you never know what is going on beyond the typical tourist sites. And it also proves the point that sometimes you can discover the most incredible things from jumping off at a random subway stop and just wandering. Before heading to China, I actually subscribed on Facebook to a whole bunch of Chinese newspaper Facebook groups just to get a feel for what was going on. 
And it's interesting hearing about news from that you may not hear otherwise. Sort of backtracking, but... So after five, six days in Hong Kong, at the start of the trip, I then took the train from Hong Kong to Guangzhou, which was easily booked online and cheap. From memory, it was about 20 or $30. Actually, I think I talked about this in my China podcast. Anyway, I collected my ticket a few days in advance from Hung Hom train station. Although now there's a huge high-speed railway station they've just opened up in Hong Kong which eventually will include trains from destinations further away in China, like Shanghai. So expect Hong Kong to become more of an easy gateway into China in the future. I mean, it's there already. And as visa restrictions become easier for Australians and New Zealanders, of course, always double check, but it's an easy side trip to head to Guangzhou for a few days. There was also a lot of things I saw from the train, like the Fan Ling radio control car track aren't in any guidebook or brochure. And the Tan Po Market Historical Train Station, if you're a train buff. There's always so much more to discover in a city than what is generally advertised, and in a place like Hong Kong, that's particularly relevant. Often overlooked by short-stay visitors, you also have numerous islands offering peaceful beachside getaways which is not necessarily something you think of when you imagine Hong Kong. But they are easily accessible by ferry or bus. And on the island of Chen Chao, you can hire a bicycle and ride around the island. Before booking your flights to Hong Kong, double-check if there's any festivals happening, as there's numerous festivals throughout the year, including the shopping festival, book festival, a food festival, and a totally random event is the Bun Festival on Chen Chao Island, where they build a tower of buns, and then people attempt to climb them. It's in May, but varies with the lunar calendar. Just a funny quick little story from talking about catching the bus on in Hong Kong. I remember as a kid catching the bus to a beach. might have been Stanley or Kennedy Town, but anyway. On the bus, there was this fashionable local girl, and she had like five or six swatch watches up each arm. I don't know why she needed so many timepieces, but it stood out, and I just remembered. The brain does funny things sometimes. Because land is at a premium, accommodation can be expensive in Hong Kong. There's plenty of big-name hotels in Kowloon on the mainland, and also on Hong Kong Island. But if you search around, you can sometimes find something on special. Most recently, I stayed at the Novotel on Nathan Road in Kowloon, because they had a really awesome deal, which included a buffet breakfast. And which, if you've ever had a Novotel buffet breakfast, basically meant I didn't need lunch most days. Plus, it's centrally located, a few minutes walk from an NTR station, an easy walking distance to the harbour foreshore. If you sign up to the Accor Frequent Travel Program, they regularly send out exclusive discounts. And after staying at the Novotel in Hong Kong and then the Pullman in Shanghai, which also I got an amazing deal on, it was like... 70 or 80 Australian dollars a night uh, that was enough to bump me up to silver status which got me free internet and a welcome drink at another hotel of course in Hong Kong there's plenty of options on Airbnb but just be aware many apartments are literally just a meter wide or three feet across with just a single bed and a shared bathroom and in many cases you have to check in to get the keys in one apartment block 
then the apartment you're staying might be in a few streets away, which can be a hassle with luggage, especially if you arrive late at night. So you might want to consider a few days in, say, Kowloon, and then a few days on an island just to have more of a relaxing trip. I know there's also museums, galleries, antique shops, temples, parks and gardens, shopping centres, theatre, music. Like, you would have trouble fitting in everything in Hong Kong, no matter how long you stayed or how many times you visited. I guess what I'm trying to say is there's pretty much something for everyone. I could probably create an entire podcast just about Hong Kong. And if I ever find myself living in Hong Kong, which you never know, I'll be sure to do that. If anyone's hiring, I'm open to suggestion. However, that's all I have for you in today's episode of Travelosophy. Have you been to Hong Kong? What's your favourite hidden gem of Hong Kong? Tweet me at jdkinsjackson. Or you can send me your story via my website, which is jadejackson.com.au and head to the contact page. If you are travelling and wish to send me a postcard for me to read out next podcast episode, please head to the contact page on my website for details. Feel free to check out my photographs on Instagram at jdkinsjackson. And of course, get in touch, follow on Facebook at Travelosophy Podcast. If you love this podcast, please tell your friends. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you really want to show your support, head to the support the podcast page on my website. And if you really, really love it, you can head to my Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash jadejackson. Thank you so much for listening to Travelosophy with Jade Jackson. Bye bye now.